You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Hello and welcome to the Money Nerds podcast, where owning a calculator, budgeting your money, and having a net worth is actually cool. I'm your host, Whitney Hansen, and each week I'll be chatting with inspiring people to learn their secrets to financial success. Now let's dive into the show. Have you ever wondered where credit and credit scores actually came from? In this episode, we're going to do a deep dive into all things credit, specifically Credit 101. So if you've never really understood how your credit score is calculated or what it is composed of or why your credit score went down when you canceled or paid off a card, we're going to talk about all of this stuff in a ton of detail. So let's go ahead and dive into this episode of All Things Credit 101. So let's take it back. Let's talk about when credit was actually initially created. So the beginning of credit reporting dates back quite a ways. So there was different ways of people being able to see how credit worthy, and when I say credit worthy, what I really mean is how risky is somebody to lend money to. All of this stuff, there's been lots of different ways that we've done this over the centuries, but the credit scoring model that we know today really began in the 1970s. In the 70s is when this whole concept of FCRA, Fair Credit Reporting Act, you might have heard this. This was uh, 1970, and then the 1974 Equal Credit Opportunity Act, ECOA, This really came into conversations because it was really trying to help protect consumers from lender discrimination. As you can imagine, think through the 70s, this was a big issue. So all of this really stemmed from discrimination. Now let's think about this for a sec. So in the 70s, what was really going on? Women were not really allowed to get their own home loan. There was um, racial inequalities and racial discrimination. There was so much discrimination going on that we really had to create the FCRA and the ECOA. So that's where this stuff really became a little bit more mainstream. Now let's kick it a little bit further back. So prior to those two different credit acts, in 1956, two guys, Bill Fair and a mathematician named Earl Isaac were working on creating a system that was able to score credit. And so this was something that they had been working on for over 20 years, a very, very long time. Now, once they started to get this model refined, it became a little bit more mainstream. So Fair Isaac and Company is what it was initially called, and that became FICO. So if you've ever heard of a FICO score, it was founded by Bill Fair and Earl Isaac. And so this was really where it was initially launched. And so it was launched in 1989, the FICO scoring model, by Equifax. Equifax was one of the first of the three credit bureaus to really look at this and to turn it into a modern credit score. And at that time, they called it Beacon. So it's kind of interesting to see that that's where the history of the credit scoring model, specifically FICO, came from. This became a lot more mainstream in the 1990 to 2010 era. This is when we started to see some major, major players utilizing FICO scores to help them make better decisions. Now, the scoring model has since evolved, and it has now even with there's there's FICO, and then there's another score called Vantage Score, both of which are very popular. I would say those are the two biggest credit scoring 
brain models. But as of today, there's even more than that. There's over at, well, there's at least 16 different credit scoring models that is currently in play today. So why do we have all these different models? What does this mean? Well, think about it this way. Each lender is looking for something slightly different. If you're going to take out a loan on a home, is that more or less risky than taking out a loan on, say, a car? Totally different, right? A house is a much bigger dollar amount, so it could be argued that it's a little bit riskier. Now let's compare a house loan to a credit card. Is that more or less risky? Again, it's a totally different type of score, and so sometimes you might even find a totally different scoring model. So that is all to say that whenever you pull your credit score and you're trying to get a loan for whatever it might be, you might have tons of different credit scores. It might vary. You pull up Credit Karma or Credit Sesame, and that score is totally different than your Chase credit card statement score when you look on your Chase account. And then when you get a loan, their score could be 10, 20, even 100 point difference. And so if you've ever wondered, like, why the heck is this? A lot of it comes down to a few factors that we're going to dive into today about what your credit score is composed of. But do know, because there are so many different models, and because they're looking at different levels of risk within each of the different types of loans, mortgage versus a car versus versus car insurance, versus all of that stuff. When they're pulling your score, they're all looking for slightly different things. So it's actually quite normal for there to be multiple different credit scoring systems. You just have to know that the two primary are FICO and Vantage score. So let's start with some of the basics. There are three credit bureaus that you will become very aware of very quickly. There's Experian, Equifax, and TransUnion. So these three credit bureaus are responsible for reporting to lenders. So lenders will license that information, they'll pay for that in order to see, should we actually lend this person our money? So usually banks and financial institutions. How this works is think about all of your different types of debt. You have car loans, you have mortgages, you have maybe credit cards. Even if it doesn't carry a balance, it's still a revolving credit. So it still will show up on your credit report. So all of those different things are really composed of how risky is this person to lend to. So all of those different debtors that we have will then report that information directly to the credit bureaus. The credit bureaus will then aggregate all of that information, put it into a a credit report. And then that is what lenders will license essentially to see how is this person from a risk standpoint. So that is your credit report. Your credit report, I like to think of as kind of like your detail behind your report card. Your report card will just give you a high level, here's how you're doing. But the detail behind it it, that's the important piece. That's the stuff that says this person has made late payments. This person has paid this card completely on time. This card was closed. This is when this card was opened. It carries so much data and information about your financial decisions from a debt perspective. And so that is your credit report. It is just an aggregate of all of the credit information that's applicable to you. It does not give you a credit score because that's where the credit models come from. The credit scoring models will then take all of that information and it will aggregate it into one singular score. It will say, this is exactly the score that we're comprised of, this is how risky this person is, and then based off of that, lenders can make a better decision. So the big keynote here is that your credit score is very different than your credit report. So which one's more valuable? In my opinion, it's your credit report. 
because that's the stuff that carries all of the data. Now, there's crazy st statistics out there that say how much different uh, information is incorrect on your credit reports. I've read some stats that say 79% of credit reports contain some mistake of any kind, and 25% contained errors serious enough that resulted in denial of new credit. So this is a big issue. In addition to that, 54% contain personal demographic information that was misspelled, outdated, belonged to a stranger, that's creepy, or otherwise incorrect. And 30% contain credit accounts that have been closed, but were incorrectly remained listed as open. So all of this stuff to say your credit report is really where you're going to find the mistakes. That's the stuff where you really need to dig into the weeds and you need to get a really good understanding of what that looks like. And there's a couple different places to get your credit report. Now, one myth that a lot of people think is when you pull your credit report, it's going to quote unquote ding or hurt your credit. And that's actually not true. When you personally pull your own credit report to see is everything on there accurate? Has anything changed? That will not hurt you. You are legally entitled to pull your own credit. However, if you are requesting a third party like a car lender or a home lender or a credit card company, if you're requesting them to give you credit and they pull your credit report on behalf, then it will hurt you. That's how this stuff works. So if you want to pull your credit, you can do that. I mean, truly as many times as you want, but at least one time per year is really all you need to do. And a lot of people are like, well, where do I pull my credit report? How do I get access to that? There is a government approved website that is annualcreditreport.com annualcreditreport.com. It looks like a shady site. It's not. It's actually very legit. The government backs it. So it's one of those that you can truly trust. The thing that I will caution you on is a lot of these sites when you can get your free credit report will try to incentivize you to purchase your credit score. I wouldn't recommend doing that. I don't think that matters because there are so many different models that it's likely that your credit score will vary anyways. If you don't want to use annualcreditreport.com, which I highly recommend, that's like the only site I truly say go there first. You can also use something like Credit Karma or Credit Sesame. Those are fine. Your bank can also give you a copy of your credit report. Your credit card statements can also give you a copy of your credit report. So all of these different ways are ways for you to get your credit report. Now, good practices to run your report and pull that one time per year and just look over it with a fine tooth comb. I want you to get into the weeds on your credit report to see, are the names on there accurate? Are the addresses correct? Is the balances reported accurately? Is the account open or closed? Do I recognize all of the different accounts on there? Or is there any accounts that don't belong that might be identity theft? If that's the case, you have to go through and report to get that fixed and to get all of that information on there accurate and updated as possible. So that's the credit report versus your credit score. I'm going to spend the rest of this podcast episode really diving into what your credit score is composed of and how it's actually roughly calculated so that you can understand how to legally manipulate your credit score so it's as high as possible, allowing you to qualify for those really great interest rates. You're ready to make the leap and turn your passion into profit, but you need the right team to make it happen. Indeed makes it easy to hire and build a team with the right skills to make your dreams a reality. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is a hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applicants that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. 
Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need one powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Indeed partners with you every step of the hiring process. You can find great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. I really like virtual interviews because it saves you time. You can message, schedule, and interview top talent seamlessly all in one place. Indeed makes it easy for you to connect with your applicants. You don't need to install anything extra, and Indeed's virtual interviews work from your browser. You can do it all in one place with Indeed. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash money nerds. Offer valid through April 30th. Go to Indeed.com slash money nerds to claim your $75 credit before April 30th. Indeed.com slash money nerds. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. So let's spend some time talking a little bit about what your credit score is composed of. There are five factors that your credit score is primarily composed of. The first and probably the most important piece is your payment history. Now, the reason I say this is the most important piece is because this is the largest percentage of a pie that your credit score is attributed to. 35% of your score is going to go from payment history. Now, before I dive into what that actually means, let me back up just for one second. The highest your credit score can be is 850 points. The lowest it can be is 300. So when we're talking about 35%, we're talking about 35% of the highest score possible, in this case, 850 points. So that means that 298 points are attributed to your payment history. So here's what we mean when we say payment history. A lot of people think that if you pay your rent on time or you pay your, I don't know, your cell phone bill, all of that stuff, if you pay your utilities on time, that that's considered part of this. It's not. So payment history is really just with respect, because remember, this is a credit score and a credit report that we're talking about. So because of that, it's only based on the debt specifically that is reported to credit bureaus. So this would be stuff like your credit cards, your car notes, your student loans, uh, medical debt if it goes into collections. So I guess in a sense, if you don't pay your normal utility bills and it goes into collections, that can actually be reported to your credit report. So that is a possibility. But generally speaking, this payment history is, did this person actually pay their bill on time, their their debt, their credit cards? Did they make their payments on time? That's what they're really looking for. Now, the next biggest chunk of that credit pie is 30% of your credit being calculated by amounts owed. So this is 255 points roughly that we're talking about. Now, when I say amounts owed, what I'm really meaning is the amount of credit that you have available to you, how much of that are you actually utilizing? So if you have a $10,000 credit limit and you're using $10,000, you have $10,000 charged to your credit card, then that's where you're going to see a big point loss because of that. So let's talk about a rule of thumb. This is very, very important to understand. The goal of this section is when I'm talking about this, I'm talking about revolving account debt specifically. Revolving account meaning credit cards. So you want with any of your credit cards, the rule of thumb to get as many of these 255 points possible is to keep your balances as close to zero and definitely below 30% of the limit. So in the example of the $10,000 limit, if you charge $10,000 to that card, your credit limit is totally maxed out. 
right? You used all of your available credit. And so because of that, you're at 100% utilization, which is not ideal. Remember, we want it to be zero up to 30% on the high end. So if you have a $10,000 limit, the most you want to charge to that account is $3,000. Now that is such a big portion of your credit score, but it's also a really easy one to finagle, especially if you're new to credit. If you're new to credit, I'll share with you a strategy towards the end that's going to help you manage your credit cards responsibly so that you never get yourself in a position where you are in trouble. If you already have credit card debt, then this is also really good music to your ears because now you can see if you get your credit limit reduced or your balance owed, if you get your balance owed lower than 30%, you're going to see a credit score increase. So that's pretty cool. Now, here's another big piece that I think is important to understand with this 30% of your credit score coming from amounts owed. So if you don't have a credit card or any type of revolving account, even if you're not using that credit card, but if you don't have anything open, then it's going to be a big issue because this is a huge portion of your credit score. So 30% of your entire credit score is composed of the amounts owed. So again, 30%, 35% is your payment history. Now the next portion of your credit score is attributed to the length of credit history. This is 15% of your score, and this is 128 points that we're talking about here. So this is generally speaking why people say you should not cancel your oldest card. So maybe you opened up I don't know, a Les Schwab tires charge account when you were 19 years old and in college, and now you're in your 30s and you're considering canceling and closing out that Les Schwab account, if that is your oldest piece of credit history, it's going to actually possibly hurt your credit score because it's the average age of all the different accounts that are open. So that's completely why we hear a lot of those examples of the card you got when you were in in college and you got when you were like 18 or 19 years old, don't close that account. Most of the time that's because that's probably your oldest piece of credit. And so that length of credit history is so important because you've I mean, it's it's giving you that, it's boosting your average, really. And so because of that, you generally speaking don't want to close your oldest credit card. Now, there are certain factors where it is very appropriate to close accounts. If they're charging you a fee, a yearly fee, and you no longer get a benefit for that, for sure, close that account. But do understand that if your credit score goes down when you close that account, part of that could be two factors. One, you alleviated the amounts owed, that credit utilization, that available credit to you is now down. And that, again, was 30% of your score. And then the other factor is you might have just closed one of your oldest length of history cards. And so that's why it could possibly hurt you if you close a card. That doesn't mean you should never. It just means that use a little bit of caution there and understand that your credit score will probably go down. And those are the two areas that it's likely going to be affecting you most. Now, moving right on to the next factor of your credit score, which is the type of credit used. This is 10% of your credit score, 85 points possible is what we're talking about. Now, this is an interesting one because this is your credit mix. What we're looking for with your credit mix is a mix of revolving and installment 
types of debt. So an installment debt is something like a car loan, right? You pay on a monthly basis, a payment on a monthly basis. That is an installment loan. Your mortgage is another type of an installment loan, but we want to see for credit optimization. Again, just because this is good for credit doesn't mean that it's good for your financial life. We're talking specifically credit here. You have to do what's best for you. I would never take out a piece of debt just to get 10% of points possible. Like it's just not worth it to me. But in general, that's what they're looking for is a good ratio of installment and revolving accounts. Now, if you're curious, like what's the sweet spot? I have heard that the sweet spot when it comes to types of credit used is one to one ratio of installment to revolving accounts. And you're not necessarily penalized for not having a mortgage history, but you are penalized if you only have one type of credit. Again, doesn't matter too much. It's 10% of your overall score. I would not go taking out debt just in order to get 10% of my credit score increased. It just doesn't make sense mathematically, but that is a portion of your credit score is 10% is types of credit used looking for the credit mix there. Now, the next and final piece of your credit score is 10% goes towards new credit and inquiries. This is 85 points as well. So when I say new credit and inquiries, what I really mean is other people running your credit report, a third party pulling your credit. So when you go to, I don't know, Victoria's Secret and they say, hey, do you want to open up the Victoria's Secret card to save 15%? And you say, sure, that sounds great. That is a hard inquiry. They're going to run your credit. And then from there, it's going to hurt your credit score. Now, general rule, a hard inquiry when a third party pulls your credit report, a hard inquiry is going to cost you three to 15 points each. So these inquiries, if you're wondering how long do they stay on your credit, it affects you for one year. So one year, you can expect to see all of the different types of hard inquiries affecting you three to 15 points each. Now remember, soft inquiries or you pulling your own credit report do not affect your score whatsoever. You are legally entitled and and able to pull your own credit score without that affecting you. It's only when that third party or you authorize somebody else to pull your credit score for you. So let's do a quick recap. 35%, the largest portion of your credit score of that 850 points available to you is your payment history. 35% payment history. 30% is your amounts owed, which factors into your utilization rate, making sure that you keep all of your credit cards below 30% as the amount you charge to the card. 15% is the age of credit. Your oldest cards are your BFF when it comes to credit scores. 10% goes for your credit mix. We want to see installment and revolving debt combined. One-to-one ratio is ideal. And 10% comes from new credit and inquiries. That's when a third party pulls your credit score. So those are the biggest factors. Now, all of this to say, I never recommend ever that somebody does a financial decision strictly based off of boosting their credit score. I would never recommend you go take out a car loan just so that you can have that one-to-one ratio and get 10% of those points. To me, it's just not worth it and it doesn't make sense from a financial standpoint. But it is important to understand that that is how your credit score is calculated. That's what it's composed of. So all of this to say, how do we start to boost our credit score? It depends on where you are. 
So if you are starting and you have a ton of credit card debt and you're trying to pay it off, that's the best place to begin. When you get your balances below 30% utilized of your available credit, so 30% charged to that one credit card, if it's a $10,000 limit, you're only charging $3,000 or less, and that's the balance you owe, that's going to start really, really boosting up your credit score. So you're going to see some major increases in that time. The other factor that will really help you during this time too, if you are trying to boost your credit score, is making sure that your payments are paid on time. So whatever those minimum payments, if that's all you can afford at this moment, do not skip those payments. Make sure that you are paying those on time. And with today's world, you can automate it. Like There's so many different ways to remind yourself to pay your bills that I think you're creative enough that you know that it's an important piece. And those two factors of just paying down your credit cards and paying your bills on time, you're going to see an increase in your overall credit score. So let me talk to the person who maybe has shunned credit cards, has not really much history whatsoever, and would really like to get started so that they have a good credit score when they go to take out a home loan or an investment property loan or whatever the heck you want to do. If that's your situation, the best place to start is to open up one credit card. I know, I know, it's scary, and if you've never had credit, it feels very intimidating, but it is such a big portion of your credit, and you can actually manage it very appropriately. So here's what I would recommend. I call this the Netflix model for boosting your credit. I would open up one credit card through Chase, through Visa, through MasterCard, like just choose a good, reputable financial institution for your first card. I would make sure that this card has no annual fee. You really don't want to pay for an annual fee on a credit card if you're just trying to boost your credit score and get a responsible, healthy credit score. I would not pay for this. Now, if you're travel hacking, different story, but I'm talking to the beginner here. So I would open up one card with no annual fee. I would also choose one that has a fairly low interest. But if you follow this strategy, you are never paying interest. So it really kind of doesn't matter if it's 12% or 24% interest. In this strategy, you're never going to pay interest. So it kind of doesn't really matter. What you're going to do after you have that card open is you're going to charge one recurring bill to that credit card. So this is something like Netflix, hence the the name, to your credit card. Then what you're going to do is schedule an automatic payment in full by the due date for your credit card from your bank account, your checking account to your credit card. Just automatically schedule that payment every single month. So what's going to happen is that you are actually getting your credit score boosted because you're managing your score responsibly. It doesn't matter how much you charge to the card. It only matters that you have on-time payments. And in this case, you're paying it off in full and that you're well below that 30% mark. If you are, your score is going to increase. Now you do this, you rinse and repeat for a couple of years and your credit score is going to be probably in the high 700s. I would be very surprised if you were like 720 or so. I would be shocked. Most of the time when I tried this strategy for myself, I had my mortgage. I did not have any student loans, so that was not an installment loan on my report. And I had one credit card that I did this exact same thing with, and my score was a 799. Now, I'm not promising you that your school score will be that high either, but it is a really healthy way to manage credit so that you're never getting in trouble. Now, if you're tempted to put more on that card, what I would recommend is cutting up that card before you even have that chance. 
So that way you don't even have access to the card. You can't go to the gas station. You can't put your gas on your card, which in today's world is like a million dollars. It's so expensive. But it keeps you so you are having that checks and balances in your financial life so that you can't get in trouble. You're still building your credit responsibly and you don't have that temptation to take on extra debt. That is the Netflix model for boosting your credit. Highly, highly recommend it if you are new to credit or you're trying to maybe rebuild or boost up your credit. It's a great way to go. So that was today's episode all about Credit 101 and how to legally manipulate your credit score so that it's as high as possible and you qualify for the best interest rates in the event of you getting a loan. I hope this was a helpful episode. If it was, do me the biggest favor, take a screenshot and tag me on Instagram to let me know that you're listening in. I also want to say thank you so much for bearing with my voice. I'm just getting over a cold, so I'm a little bit nasally and have a bit of vocal fry these days until my cold is completely kicked, but I hope that the content was still good and that you weren't judging my nasally voice too much today. (laughs) All right, that is it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate you. I hope you're having a great week and I will see you next week for another episode of the Money Nerds podcast. Bye.